Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 420, and today we'll be talking about Youngblood, <laughs> Old Souls, from the Owl House. I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. And uh, holy, holy crap, what a, what a nice coincidence. What a wonderful episode number. That just is complete coincidence. Yeah, that's also the season one finale. I mm-hmm. wish that uh, we had themed it better. <laughs> I like, was telling GC that, and GC didn't have any ideas, so... I'm sorry, are you guys from Elon Musk's office? <laughs> do not, do not even <laughs> attempt to compare me to that man. Do you think Elon Musk invented 420? <laughs> Elon Musk didn't even invent Tesla. Like, let's be real here. <laughs> so, young blood, old souls... We've been saving this one. ...is the initial showdown between... Luz and Bellos. So, to summarize the episode, it begins with King reading to Luz from his unauthorized, I say his, his copy of the unauthorized history of the Boiling Isles. And uh, let's just say interesting historical text that has ideas about what things were like before Bellos came around. Slightly tarnished by old age, it appears. Yep, and with a completely illegible uh, written by, I do wonder if uh, it might have been written by a man who could be named Caleb, but uh, we'll see, we'll see. It's a pretty common recurring name, I hear, on the Boiling Isles. Well, the, I don't know if the timeline works out. <laughs> I mean, finish your summary, and then we'll go back into um, okay. the little details. So, Luz resolves to, against all of King's advice, go rescue Ida. And she has to, she and King pull off a diabolical crime and are sent to the conformatorium as a result. They immediately break their way out, force Warden Wrath, big tough guy, to draw them a map to get to Ida. Yes, great joke. Who, uh, Belos has betrayed Lilith and sent her to the conformatorium because she is to be petrified rather than to be cured, as he promised uh, Lilith. Luz and Ida have a touching moment before Ida is brought up to begin the ceremony, and Luz confronts Lilith, who tells her that she really regrets having cursed Ida, and so she goes to help Luz make the rescue, but Bellus was waiting there the whole time, captures Lilith and King, and uh, has, a, has a little bit of a fight with Luz, although it's more like he's playing with her. Um, she ends up destroying the door rather than letting him keep it, and she goes and she rescues Ida with a with a little bit of help from uh, the the chance of an angry mob. The mob's not getting involved, but they are making their feelings known. And in the escape, Bellos comes out and pardons all of the criminals because Ida is cursed, and that is the Titan's will. And then once they are at the Owl House, Lilith takes half of the curse away from Ida. And so that is how they both lose their magic going into season two. Yes. Um, so if we want to start picking apart these details from the beginning, um, the book that King has, um, written by Scratched Out, obviously it could just be a normal, non-important detail, but this is the Owl House we're talking about, and they really do like to sneak that stuff in. Another thing that's censored is like the last two sentences of the first paragraph of the second page. So I'll read both the pages that we got verbatim. So the Boiling Isles, named after the raging hot water of the Boiling Sea, are composed of the bones of a fallen titan. 
Throughout the ages, other monumental bones have been sighted in the boiling seas, raising the possibility that many such creatures stalk the demon realm in eons past. But, as of yet, the Titan of the Boiling Isles remains the only complete skeleton known. Where did the Titans come from? How did they perish? I hope one day we can uncover these mysteries, dot dot dot. Second page. Before he ascended the throne, Emperor Belos gained prominence as a crusader for unity during the Savage Ages. He believes that the chaos from all, quotes, wild and then it's censored and illegible, blah blah blah, bring peace by controlling such magic and then it's censored again. I, I, th- I think we can say that he believes that the chaos comes from wild magic and he seeks to bring peace. It, I'm certain it says something like that. Yeah, by controlling such magic in his coven system. There you go. I think that's what the last sentence says. I, I think you're right. That looks reasonable. And then this, the last paragraph is, he rules by fear and an iron fist, and his past remains largely unknown. Nevertheless, savage ages cause such devastation that many people have proved willing to follow him. And of course, now we know that the devastation was caused by him, as he like continued to blow up towns and cities and call it wild magic. Oh yeah, spoilers, by the way, David. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, David. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's gonna, there's gonna be more. It's okay, I was so focused on just staring at the pages of the, the book that I'll just pretend I didn't hear that. Okay, keep doing that as we continue. This book is fascinating because um, it only appears here and it looks like like a mass produced like you just pick it up at Barnes and Noble, just the casual unauthorized history. And I don't understand like where it fits as far as like Bellos hasn't been around that long. So this book presumably uh, was written maybe a decade or two after, you know, he comes mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm. scene. Or, or, you know, I mean, I don't know how quickly he was able to set up the whole coven system, and you know, at least from the pages of the book, I don't know much about how he took advantage of the, um, the, whatever that era of chaos was called. The Savage Ages. The, yeah, the Savage Ages. So It might be that he had, like, a good amount of power before, like, the 50-year official crowning of the Emperor title. Mm-hmm. Like, he may have had, like, a good amount of city. Like, he may have had Bonesboro. On his side, and then, like, the rest of the Isles pledging allegiance. Then he became the official emperor, because, I mean, he's had, like, 400 years, and then some, of crusading. So, I don't think it was all just, like... Because his timeline is, um, in the Boiling Isles with his assumed brother, Caleb. Then, at some point... Caleb betrays him because Caleb finds out all the messed up stuff he's doing and then he kills him and then he starts using those pictoglyphs on himself because I think when Luce goes back in time to meet him Caleb is already gone and he doesn't figure out how to make the Grimwalkers until a bit after that point but he had already started experimenting on himself so I'm just I'm like trying to piece this together in my head (laughs) <laughs> I love how much different the future of the show sounds. It's like, because I've stayed so yeah. like naive, and I'm like, that sounds wild. <laughs> it's and so cool. David, I'm literally like appalled that you have not caught up. All that happened, and someone produced really nice full-color pictures mass-produced in this now somewhat stained and burned book. So that's just nice that those things happened in this universe. Like, that whole thing happened. But, you know, if Caleb was writing this, which I now barely know Caleb, uh, brother, 
you know, this is like a really casual, <laughs> very nice history. It doesn't seem reasonable he'd write something like, his past is largely unknown, you know, in very nice. Well, <laughs> the king who would have written this wouldn't know Bellos' past. Oh, okay. But I have another conspiracy theory. It is possible that uh, Bellos himself is the author of this. We we know from uh, earlier writings of Bellos that he likes to intersperse his stuff with pictures, just like this. And this is like... Then why wouldn't he authorize it? it? It talks just bad enough about him to call itself an unauthorized history, but at the same time, it speaks very complimentary of him and the system he wants to create, so... It's like, ooh, Bellos is big and scary, I better not mess with him. It's pretty, like, face value. Unfortunately, with only a few pages, it's really hard to be too sure of the authorship. But that's my conspiracy theory. Because that's the middle of the book, so we miss the, like, you know, however many pages. Actually, it's towards the beginning of the book, actually, if you look at how it's folded. Um, so this could just be the introduction, and then you get, you know, like, several hundred pages of trash-talking Emperor Bellos. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, this book, I don't think anything else exactly like it appears in the show, at least not that I've caught. We do get to see another book, but it's nothing but ads, so it's kind of boring. <laughs> um, that hits close to home. Uh, Alright, so then as we move forward, another really interesting little tidbit is that Ida and Lilith have a little excursion in the human realm in the forest right outside of the shack before heading back into the demon realm. And that's the last time that Luce is in the human realm until the end of season two. You mean Luce and Lilith, not Ida and Lilith. Thank you, Luce and Lilith. <laughs> My brain didn't like that both their names started with L. Um, so that yeah, that's the last time that Luce is in the human realm until the end of season two. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she can't use glyphs, but Witches can use magic, and that's, like, very explicitly shown. And King can fall asleep while being restrained by a vine. Yeah, I mean, King can fall asleep anywhere. That's 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 no change to canon. What? But, yeah, and I d it does follow the kind of lore of the magic that we've kind of found out either before this episode yep. or afterwards. The mixing together of phlegm. Yeah, the, the pictoglyphs specifically combine the elemental magics of the Boiling Isles, right? It comes from the Titan. Luce can use glyphs on other islands, as we see later in Season 2 when they go to the Hand, which is where the Titan Trappers are, and she uses glyphs there, and they work. And she also uses them at sea, right? When they were going to find the Selkidamis, she could use the glyphs. So there must be magical power kind of inherent to the Demon Realm as a whole, even if you know, most of the glyph's power comes from the Titan. Maybe the Titans are just capable of harnessing it. Or the people of the Boiling Isles could simply be mistaken. I mean, Bellos has had a long time to say, Titan, 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 Titan. He probably co-opted a extant uh, mythology about where they came from. Yes, but when Luce is discovering glyphs on her own, she does explicitly say something along the lines of magic as a gift from the Titan. Well, she said magic as a gift from the island. The yeah. island is just the Titan. And also, it's interesting, so it also establishes that the life living on the Boiling Isles evolved to use magic. So 
I imagine that their bile sacs or whatever equivalent is what is harnessing and storing the magic either from what they eat or drink or just passively absorbed from the environment. So I would also say that after spending a significant amount of time in the human realm, a witch or magic-using demon would run out and not be able to replenish because the food that they eat and the water that they drink is not from the Titan. So if Bellus had been lying and they actually had been planning to invade the human realm, it might have been a War of the Worlds situation where the invasion just crumbles after a few days. Mm-hmm. Or they bring all their own food. Yeah, armies tend to do that. It would make a very difficult um invasion. It'd be like almost like a scorched earth, but the humans don't have to do anything. <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah, so that's definitely like a question that's going to be answered once we get season three. And I have been seeing tidbits, like they have the new title, like the cover for it, right? The season three cover, but do we have an actual date for when we can expect it? October 15th. Wait, really? Yeah, I TV Guide got the exclusive reveal on that. You're, you're talking to somebody with the absolute worst memory for numbers and dates. Um, That's phenomenal news. October 15th, that's like three weeks? Yep. Three, three, three weeks and some change? Oh, just in time for Halloween. Now, three weeks and some change from when we record, but less than three weeks from when this goes live. <laughs> just in time for me to catch up. <laughs> yes, much to the happiness of our listeners who may or may not have been keeping on top of it. Yeah, David, you might want to hurry up. Uh, yeah, yeah for real. <laughs> um, and it's it, it, there's such good reveals to like experience organically. Like I feel bad that you keep on getting spoiled when you could have experienced this while watching the show. I know, I know, it's terrible. I mean, I also know that. I mean, I know, I know all the things. So what? What's <laughs> what's you know that that also hurts. It hurts to know about Hunter. It hurts to know that there's like a essentially Undertale or Deltarune character that appears at the end of season two. I don't know. What? Are you talking about the collector? The yeah, that character. <laughs> you know that like... that that isn't actually really cool take on it because Undertale and the collector share a lot of like similar themes, like the whole jester. Right. There is a jester in Deltarune. Exactly. I have like, not it's played like the second chapter. That character <laughs> like somehow already got invented at the same time. Yes, because Undertale invented the jester. Yes. And the extremely powerful chaotic child. Somehow, yes. <laughs> but I, I can't believe we've gone this long and not talked about just the truly heinous crime that Luz and King have to commit to get sent to the conformatorium. Stepping on grass. You saw how shocked that guard was. Like, people are not this cruel on the Boiling Isles. Like, this is, this is human deviancy right here. Well, it could also mean that the guard was the one who personally who personally planted the grass seeds and put up the sign and guarded it and was like, it was my job to make this grass grow nice and green because there have been bald patches, and now somebody is like personally attacking my work. And then we've seen what Bellos does to failures, so... <laughs> yeah, and I mean like, listen, if you've worked retail and you just spent the last four hours of your life that you will never get back working minimum wage, stalking and facing an aisle, and actually daring to take the tiniest bit of pride in the hard work that you just did, just to see <laughs> some freaking butthead customer come in and one just aisle? destroy. It would take you four hours to stalk and face one aisle? Yes. 
at the Home what Depot. What store is this? Okay, gr- Home Depot. Okay, that, yeah. that makes more Huge sense. Huge aisles, a lot of extremely tiny items that have not been organized for weeks and that you now have to pull apart and reorganize and find their homes for it. It's tedious, it's backbreaking, and it's, like, mind-numbing. Right, obviously planting grass isn't necessarily that bad, but like if you, you know, you till the earth, you plant the seeds, you put the fertilizer, you put up the sign and the fence and whatever. I could imagine being pretty peeved off if some dumb kid came and started stomping on your grass just to get the rise out of you. <laughs> the the the, oh. the amount of like thinking that went into providing any empathy to, you know, random grunt number five, like <laughs> dragging them off. That's so nice. I mean, the show does try and humanize them to a degree. The show is on my side because yeah. they support minimum wage workers. Like, they portray all of no, these guards great. as, yeah. like, it's just my job kind of idea, and I always very enjoy it. So, actually, I'm yeah. entirely on brand with the show. No, I, I totally buy it. Also, this, like, world is so hilarious in that we're meant to believe that all these people are dedicated to Bellos, but, like, the entire crowd instantly wanted Edith turns for Edith (laughs) with with, with, with no with like like no other decision making right and even like Gus's dad reporting on like the news like the big important official news channel he's like this is a dark day you know in reference to you know Edith getting turned to stone yeah the return of petrification yeah like it wasn't even, um, you know, there wasn't any filter on that. Like, I don't know. Bellos's ship is not that tightly run. I mean, maybe that just becomes obvious later. He's also only, like, just come to power. Like, he's as old as the internet is today. Right. Right. So there's, like, obviously the internet is now much more widespread than it was, but it is about 50 years old. And so there's definitely people who, even if they were born after he was emperor it's like not that well cemented in the generational memory of the people there so like a little trash talking even on the news isn't that uncalled for like yeah he wants to kind of silence people but he doesn't have that strong of an iron fist yet right he can't kill everybody for trash talking but he can start to make it more and more unacceptable as time goes on and his goal is obviously that nobody questions him uh publicly anyway yeah nobody will be around to question him yeah that's true (laughs) so okay so this also brings up the next really cool thing that the show kind of that rewatching this is really cool is that if luce had given him the briefcase would everything have been avoided because his whole goal was really to get back to the human realm like well at first, he just wanted to kill everybody, and then, but then he got the briefcase and he found out how to get to the human realm. Like, if she had just given it to him, would he have just gone back and been like, "Screw you guys"? No, he would have continued with master plan. Except they probably would not have had Hunter on their side, since him needing the briefcase was probably what pushed Hunter over the edge. Yeah, him pressuring Hunter. I mean, he probably would have pressured Hunter to do other stuff. But not necessarily with the Owl House people, so... That's true. I mean, it's a pretty consistent looping story that all of his Grimwalkers yep. turn on him eventually. So Hunter could have turned on him for many other reasons, um, but he wouldn't have had allies. But I think Hunter was awfully young for a Grimwalker to turn. I thought the I thought they usually lasted a little longer. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. 
Because it does seem that the Grimwalkers are born as babies and grow up as a normal yep. witch would, just without any natural affinity for magic. And so it's interesting to think of like what Hunter's childhood would have looked like. Raised in the castle, raised in the coven. Yeah, it was probably like, um, you know, it takes a village, but he would have also been like it, Bellos repeatedly said that like he was his nephew, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and that his family was killed by wild witches, and that that's the idea that Hunter has in his head that Bellos is his only family left, which is sort of true, but not in the way that he thinks it is, <laughs> and. There could definitely be relatives or descendants of relatives in the human town. What is the name of the human town? Gravesfield. Gravesfield. Another two-word city name with an S at the end of the first word. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, and I mean, he he made the sigil of the Emperor's Coven kind of mimic the sigil of the town. And we don't... It's unclear if he actually founded it or if he was just... um he and his brother were members and like loved by the community and then randomly disappeared and that's why they have the statue made of them i think that's that that's my theory that they weren't founders they were just like significant yeah. historical figures that kind of got written into legend they're a little young in that statue so yeah like they were maybe they were sons of the founder or they were like some other like significant you know community members through lineage and the fact that they disappeared so mysteriously around the same time as, like, the witch trials were going on it made it, like, kind of cemented into legend. So that's why you have a little museum of oddities and somebody <laughs> who's a descendant of someone who was an actual real-life witch hunter in our world being a Redditor to Luce um, <laughs> and a flat-earther and conspiracy theorist. I think that's cool. I completely forgot his name, but I did remember the fact about him. The guy... Who, Jacob, I believe. Jacob. Jake, and his last name was, like, consistent with the last name of a witch hunter from, like, 400 years ago. I don't know. Hopkins, I believe. Yes. So, I think that's really cool. I love this show's attention to detail, right? And it's really establishing, because the premise of this show was kind of, like, hidden behind the reversal. What's the name? Isekai. Yeah. Isekai. Right? It's like a reverse Isekai, where... Someone from the normal world goes to a magical world and by the fact that they're normal makes them like super competent at everything in the magical world. There's loads of shows and animes that follow this like isekai theory, but it's a reverse because Luce is bad at everything. And so it's at first you think it's like a reverse isekai where, you know, uh, Luce goes to this magical world of demons where stuff is all messed up and creepy. And then glyphs get discovered. <laughs> Yeah, and then glyphs get discovered, and, you know, it, it's kind of like her her crutch to her handicap. But then you find out that the entire premise of this show is, what if the witch trials that happened in the East Coast of the pre-United States were real, right? What if they were based off of, like, actual real witches that they were trying to hunt, and the demons and the witches and stuff? And there were, like, there was an actual, like, parallel dimension where the witches were coming from to, like, mess with the humans, and that's what kind of kick-started the whole... A witch hunt history that happened in the 1700s no the 1400s i think the premise is more what if the witch hunters needed to get a life <laughs> i mean that's the kind of like the thesis but the the setting the sort of like jumpstart for the the concept of this world is kind of like 
what if the witch trials were real? And what if a human went to the demon realm and was stuck there for 400 years and came back to the humans and they didn't care about witches or demons at all? And had no drip. And had no drip. Absolutely nothing. I mean, he would probably blend in just fine. Like, there, I bet there's loads of historical re- uh, reenactments that happen in that town. But yeah. I, I think it's just, it's so cool, like, such a cool exploration of this, like, time in American history that, you know, people don't either know that much about, but is still, like, massively ingrained in, like, pop culture. Like, the uh, Wizards of Waverly Place have a cat named Salem. <laughs> like, people love making media about the Salem Witch Trials, but this is, like, a really cool take on it that I just love learning more about. All right, David, what did you think? <laughs> yeah, and I really saw a lot of echoes of that in uh, <laughs> in in Youngblood Old Souls, you know, um, including actually nowhere. Nope, I, I still have to, a, a lot more episodes to see that unfold. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's uh, some cool things in this one. If, you know, you were naive for the first time, it's like, oh, they do <laughs> new things. Like, look at these cool sisters sharing this curse. That's, that's fun. That's a, not one I've seen before. And then, oh, there's a portal reveal at the end of the season. I've definitely seen that one before. You know, at least they didn't also have a, well, I'm sure we'll still get, I think with the mice later, we do get our, VHS tape, you know, reveal of the past, you know, su- in a, a pseudo form. It's a magical VHS tape. Yeah, so that'll still happen, but I, I just love, I just love a decade of cartoons. It's still, still like leaking into the 2020s, you know, having all these same themes of, you know, all these magical worlds exist, but they must be linked through. The multiverse, because that just, like, makes sense to us, you know? Like, there must just be infinite dimensions. I don't know what polluted us the most. I don't know. Like, Rick and Morty actually, I think, kicked this off even before Marvel, like, destroyed our brains on it. But, you know. Uh, Gravity Falls. Yeah, I mean, Gravity Falls in Cartoon Land also. Which, I they would have had their plan solidified way before we hit Rick and Morty or really yeah. any of the major Marvel multiverse films existed. So good job, Gravity Falls. Well, Rick and Morty specifically put in an Easter egg showing that it was connected with Gravity Falls. So. Ooh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's actually true. The shows were kind of developed as peers. So maybe there's some even deeper thing that made everybody care about Portal so much. I believe there was something, something revolving the junk that came out of a portal that rick did the junk that came into the portal at gravity falls so it's like i think when ford was first being revealed when they finally finished the portal for the first time a bunch of junk from the basement flies into the portal and then in a random episode of rick and morty you see that same junk fly out it's the first episode it's crazy i love it so yeah rick and rick and morty takes place in the same multiverse central finite curve as uh gravity falls oh that's so true with the lore of rick and morty that technically that must mean that the smart you know rick is the smartest person in that universe too that's so funny (laughs) with with, with rick and morty like their whole they use the sort of multiverse thing as a fix for their can of worms sci-fi nonsense where if where if you start to try and question their logic too much where it's like oh it's just a parallel universe and then they move on yeah except then they dug an even deeper hole because now it's a only a specific Number of infinite universes within the yeah, it is finite, universe. which is funny. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, with this one, it just seems that there's only the two, for now anyway. Just uh, just Owl House and Amphibia linked together? Uh, no. Does Amphibia link to Owl House? I've never seen it. Yes. Does it? Camilla's reading a news article about Anne in one episode, the season finale for season two. That's weird, because Amphibia doesn't make any other links. And Amphibia's world, we don't know how many universes there are, but... There's like only five shown in one picture, but who knows? Isn't there a deleted scene or there's something where Alex Hirsch is narrating in Stan's voice about having been engaged to a chick named Marilyn who matches Ida's description. So, I mean, he's he's no a way. lot of things in a lot of voices over a lot of time. Well, and also like, <laughs> I think it's this from show, the like Gravity Falls or something was created and ended. And then years passed, and then the Owl House started to be created. And obviously, Alex Hirsch worked on both of them quite yeah. high up. So <laughs> he could also just be doing callbacks to his own show as Easter eggs to the people who like know that he worked on both of them. But that still links them together, look, whether it's a joke look, or not. <laughs> I've also heard, like, Grunkle Stan sing Giant Woman. I don't know that <laughs> those universes are related either, right? Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> it happens. Yeah, I think Grunkle Stan and Greg have a similar taste. <laughs> oh my god. What, what else happened in this episode? You know, it's pretty good. It definitely has been... I like how much it's been dwarfed. Like, it's kind of amazing. Like, it's only a two-season and three-specials-long show when it's done. And uh, it seems like... All the juicy shit really goes down in the second season. It's kind of amazing how restrained they were for the first 19 episodes. Of the, of the Owl House? Yeah. Yeah. It, they really do, it really does sneak up on you. Because I remember I was binging the Owl House, and I'm like, what is the main theme? Like, what is the main plot of this show? Like, I'm, I'm trying to find where, like, the man versus man or man versus nature, like, where that is. And, like, the Emperor just seemed to be so on the sidelines of, like, all the main characters' goals and ambitions. And obviously that changes by the end of the second season. But they're still, even though it just does seem like they're kind of messing around, like, all of that messing around is setting up groundwork for the plot later on. <laughs> and I'm just ashamed that they got only greenlit for the one more season after this, because I... Would have loved to see them do more exploration into the lore and the characters. I mean, yeah, that problem, though, it, it's happened before, right? I mean, Steven Universe is also a show yeah, in which... Steven Universe played the freaking long game. Technically, the entire plot is just them messing around and stuff happened because of it. Like, literally, all if you, the narrative all the way till the final episodes, there's not <laughs> like... Like, Rose kicked off some stuff. <laughs> way in the past but like steven just kind of accidentally stumbles along the entire way and there's no particular reason anything's happening like he only ends up on homeworld because of mentioning crap to paradox once like i mean it's not <laughs> yeah, yeah i think steven universe like the whole unfolding of the plot was intentionally stretched out until essentially the end of the the series proper before future like, you don't know who the enemies are or what the threat is, and that does kind of add, because the characters don't know either. They know that something is coming. They know that it's going to be bad, but they don't know what it is. And there's just this sort of overhanging anxiety from it that builds up throughout the season. With the Owl House, it's more like 
Luce's third eye opens in a way. Mm -hmm, You know, she goes to just ditch, like, normal people summer camp to have, like, an actual fun adventure and gets invested along the way and then gets trapped and, you know, has the two goals. One of returning home and the second one of stopping whatever Bellos is doing, which they didn't even know what it was until, like, the penultimate episodes of season two. Okay, let, let's be fair. It's Bellos. We know it can't be good. Yeah, but like they didn't understand how bad, right? Like taking away everyone's magic was probably what they were expecting. I don't think they were expecting a literal genocide. Which I can't wait to find out what's motivating that. But <laughs> <laughs> it's literally just racism. <laughs> I'm so sorry, David. It's just racism. He hates witches. Oh my god! It always, it always. Is just that. <laughs> Damn! I, I really thought it would be like you know, no family trauma even, or something. You know, Steven Universe prepped me. He doesn't even use them as like a secondary method to open the portal until after his whole goal for the past four hundred years has been to kill every single witch on the Boiling Isles. He hates them. But only on the Boiling Isles. It's only until after he gets the briefcase that he assimilates it to his plan of getting back home. Otherwise, he just wants to kill everyone. That's it. Wow. Well, (laughs) it's nice to have a goal in life. (laughs) Speaking of... Bellos is attempting genocide. What are you doing with your life? (laughs) Anyway, guys, that's it for us on Youngblood Old Souls. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. Leave us a comment or a review, and don't forget to blaze. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. 